Oh, my. I am Alan Ives, and uh, glad to be here. And we've had a good two days, and I've enjoyed hearing my son-in-law's messages coming at things from a different angle than, than me. But uh, that is wonderful, actually. And uh, my testimony of salvation and, and how God delivered me from rock and roll music, and I say that because my whole life was wrapped up in rock and roll. Uh, I wanted to be rich and famous and popular as a teenager, and I thought, well, I'm involved in music. I'll get a guitar and learn to play guitar. And my friend said, let's, let's get a little group together, a little band together. This is in the early 60s, before the uh, English explosion of the Beatles on, on America. It's that, that far back. But my testimony about how God dealt with me has everything to do with my life in rock music, and yet the verses that God used, and I emphasize that he used verses from the scripture, had nothing to do with music. The verses didn't say a word about music, but you'll see uh, when I get that far. My, uh, my first exposure to scripture outside of my mother writing in letters, if I went somewhere overnight, uh, was in the Methodist Church Choir in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And uh, we sang, and we'll, we'll have a word of prayer in a moment here, but uh, we sang a uh, musical setting of John 3.16 and 3.17. It was done by a man in Great Britain named John Stainer, and it was a beautiful piece of music we sang it and sang it, oh, once a year, maybe twice a year. I didn't understand a word of it. Well, let me read the verses. You're probably familiar with them. But these were what John Stainer set to music. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. To those of us who know the Lord, those verses are very clear. To a lost sinner in a Methodist church, it, it didn't mean a thing. I listened to the notes, and it was a beautiful, beautiful setting of the verses. It was done well, and we loved to sing it. It, uh, it was a very emotional experience, a very musical experience, but I didn't know the Lord. Let's pray, and then we'll talk about a little bit about my teenage years and 10 or 15 years ago, and we'll, we'll talk about what God did. <laughs> Dear Father, bless now this, this message. We thank thee for these verses. Help me make them clear and plain today, and may they be a blessing and a help to everyone that's here. If there's one among us that knows thee not, may they come to know thee today and make this a blessing to every saint. Lord, we all have bodies of flesh and we struggle with things. Help us see thy wonderful power and ability to deliver us from our sin and give us strength to stay away from those things. Dear Lord, bless now and guide my thoughts in Jesus' name, amen. 
So here I knew a little bit of Bible, some from my mother and particularly from this song, and yet I didn't understand the truth of it at all. I did not know the word saved. I did not know what it meant. My mother would have been the only one for a time in our family until my older sister got saved that even knew what the word meant. My father certainly didn't know uh, what it meant. But I, I enjoyed the music. I enjoyed music so much that I made music my God. I expected that everything in life would be explained through a piece of music. And then I thought, maybe I should become the world's greatest composer. And I would enlighten everyone with my wonderful music. And they would cheer me on and tell me what a wonderful person that I was. I thought all of life's answers would be answered in music. I would, would listen to music and get absorbed in it. And I, I listened not only to pop music, but I listened to my dad's classical music and just laid my head as close to the speakers as possible, turned it up as loud as possible, and, and just listened for as long as I could without interruption. By the time I got to college, I, I began to major in music, and I heard the college teachers talk about a musical experience and how you needed to have this, and it was such a wonderful event. Well, I went to a concert one night, and somebody played a violin concerto by Aaron Copeland, and I said, I can see the music, and I'm, I'm moving in sync with the music, and I'm thinking in sync with the music, and I think I'm having a musical experience. And when it was all over, I said, that's what it was, a musical experience. Did it change me? No. And I thought, is that all there is to it? And my life was getting a little more complicated, a little darker, playing in a rock and roll band from the time I was 12. And the music was not giving me the help I needed in any way. And yet I would cling to that and go, this is what got to be what life is all about. It has to be all about music. By the time I was 19... We had made a little 45 RPM. That's a recording with grooves on one side and grooves on the other side. And the song lasts about three minutes and it's a flat disc and you, you put it on a turntable and it, while it turns around, you stick a needle on it and it makes sound. Isn't it? Some of you have never seen that. But anyway, a marvelous invention. And I went to see a girl named Jackie Nelson. Jackie was a Baptist preacher's daughter, but I had forgotten. Wasn't thinking about that. And I thought, I'm going to take this little 45 RPM. We had two songs that I wrote, and my band recorded it. And I'm going to play her this song, and she's going to fall in love with me. I'll sweep her off her feet. We'll be madly in love, get married, and live happily ever after. My wife's name is not Jackie, by the way, just so you know. All right. <laughs> She, Jackie's living happily ever after with one of my friends, but uh, anyway. So I brought her this recording of a song that I had written, and I wanted her to play it right away. You know, where's your turntable? Where's your record player? And she did not. As a matter of fact, she kind of gave the, the disc a toss, you know. And uh, 
signaled to her sister, and her sister brought a Bible back and put it on the table. I went to visit her on the summer evening. And it wasn't long, and she was firing questions at me. And though the evening was a comfortable temperature, I started uh, getting a little warmer. And I thought, if she gives me a, a, this spiritual questionnaire, I'm not going to know the answers, and I'm not going to be able to impress her. And I didn't know what I would do, and I started thinking, how, to, how am I going to answer her questions? And she asked me if I was a sinner, and I said, well, yeah, I guess so. I thought about it for a moment, and not too deeply. And then she would flip and show me a verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I thought she knows where the answers are. She asked me if I died that night, would I go to heaven? And I said, well, I hope so. You know, I was not a fool. I didn't go, I'm going to go drink beer with my buddies in hell. I thought, wherever heaven is, wherever hell is, I want to get to heaven, and I don't want to go to hell, but I had no clue about how to, how to do that. I had determined that from the time I was 17. I came home from school one day and, and said, I want to talk to the God that made everything. That's the real God. What am I supposed to do while I'm on earth? And if there's a heaven, how do I get there? If there's a hell, how do I avoid that? And until I die, what am I supposed to do? What do you want from me? How does this work? What is this all about? I had had a terrible day at school, and I thought it can't get any worse. It was, it was bad socially. It was bad academically. And what else is there when you're a teenager? There's school and there's your friends. And everything was, was failing. So here I was now, 19 years old, and she's asking me questions, and I'm trying to give her a decent answer. I wasn't a smart aleck. And uh, I just didn't, didn't know where the answers were. So then she began to give her testimony to me, and she told me she was a sinner, but she knew that she was going to heaven. And she said, you need to know. And she showed me several other such verses, but I want to keep moving. We called most of what she showed me the Romans Road, but then she went to John and Revelation and several other uh, places, most of the whole Bible, you know. It's what it seemed like. <laughs> and finally, she just she said, Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? We'd talked for an hour or so already. And I just said, well, I think so. What was I doing? Well, I was thinking about every time I walked through the park and the sunlight shone through the trees. I thought about every time a bird sang. Um, I thought about uh, every good feeling and emotion I ever had. And go, Yeah, I, th I think I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. And she just pointed her finger at me and said, You better be sure you've trusted the Savior. Because you will not have eternal life unless you do. And I left and said thank you, and I was perspiring. And, and uh, after I heard those things, she read to me, of course, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
I knew nothing about Holy Spirit conviction. I knew nothing about God's work in the life of a person. I hopped on my brother's bike, which I had borrowed to go over to her house. And I began to pedal on the way home, and I started to think about what she said. And for the first time in my life, I thought, you know what, I, I really am a sinner. I'm a sinner before God. And no, I don't really know if I've trusted Jesus Christ. And no, I don't know if I have eternal life. And surely I'll end up in hell if I am not a Christian. And I began to pray. It was the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. Several verses from the the book of Romans and other places. And I called on the Lord and I said, I, I, I don't know if I'm saved or not, but I don't want to go to hell. I want you to make me a real Christian like Jackie is. I, I want you to take away my sins, give me a place in heaven, come into my heart, come into my life. I prayed everything that I heard anything about that she said that night. And I said, but I'm trying to settle this right now. I believe everything in the Bible from now on. And Lord, I'm trusting what you did for me and dying for me to give me eternal life. So Lord, save me. And of course the Lord did. Ignorant as I was about so much, I began to pedal my bicycle faster on the way home. And I started to think about when I had flopped on my bed when I was 17 years old and said, oh God, who are you and where are you? And I I prayed a specific prayer back then. It was, don't send me to church or make me do any of that Bible stuff. (laughs) You know what? The Lord Lord made it as comfortable as possible. Jackie was a sweet, uh, young, beautiful girl. And uh, she had a love for souls. And she spoke clearly to me about God's salvation. And God made it easy for me to understand and really answered that prayer. And I don't know that there's a promise that he will, but I look back at that time and I thought that I couldn't figure out what life was all about. I said, this is what I've been missing. I've been missing the Lord. My God was music, but salvation is not found in things. Its answers to life are not found in things. They're found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, I've got it. This is what I needed. This is what I've been missing. I knew there was something empty in my heart, something empty within my soul and spirit. And I said, it's the Lord. So I was on my way to heaven. And uh, glad of it. And I intended to go back and, and live my rock and roll life. And I wasn't ashamed of Jesus. I, I told people that I was a Christian. But something happened. It was not long. And this, this great joy I had. Say, I, got, I found the answer. It's the Lord. My sins are forgiven. Heaven is my home. I don't have to fear dying. And everything is wonderful. But it wasn't long. And all that peace that God gave me. And all that rest began to disappear. And the Lord began to deal with me in four areas of my life. Again, I did not understand this at all. I understand 
God dealing with his spirit in the, the life of a, of a believer and a new believer and a very ignorant believer at that. And he dealt in four areas of my life. Number one, where was my treasure in my heart as a result? Number two, who was my master? Number three, who was my life bringing glory to? And number four, was I separated from the things God wanted me separated from and to, really? I had no idea. I visited the church about once a month. It's a common thing when many folks are, are newly saved. They, uh, they don't realize how much, we don't realize how much we need the Lord. How often? And for all of our life, of course. Because of our nature. But my preacher was Jackie's father, Howard Nelson. He was a very plain preacher, but uh, you couldn't mistake anything if he preached it. And he began to preach one day from Matthew 6, and I'll read verses 19 through 21. It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Oh boy, I was a little uncomfortable again. And I said, you know, I, I, uh, I've got hundreds of dollars invested in this rock band and musical equipment. But I, I, I'll put some money in the plate and you know the easiest thing to put in a plate is a one, maybe a, on a good Sunday, you know, a five. I'd wave it a little bit. Hey, Lord, there's a five. All the big ones, you know. And I thought that the, this unrestful feeling would go away. But it did not. I knew where my treasure was. And God said, that's where my heart was. All my money was in the band, and that's where my heart was. The preacher went on. In Matthew 6 and verse 24, he read, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And I thought, oh no, what is that? And he explained it. Mammon was the love of material things. Can't serve God and material things. And I was troubled. This is worse. What am I going to do about it? And I began to tell the Lord, look, I love thee. You know, you saved me. And I thank you for it. And I love you. And I'm grateful for it. The band, that's just a job. I'm just making money there. I, I don't love that. I don't love all those instruments and... Music is not my God anymore. But who are you serving? Who was I serving? And I couldn't get any rest and I couldn't get any peace and I was more uncomfortable. And, and I, the things that I did didn't solve the problem. Where is my treasure? Where is my heart? And the Lord just kept right on. Who's your master? 
In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Howard Nelson preached, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. I said, Lord, I don't know how to do your will. Remember, I'm a, I'm a brand new Christian. Give me some time. I said, uh, I'll, I'll buy a Bible. I spent $5 at the State University and got a Bible. They were, they were selling King James Bibles for the religion class, which happily I did not take. <laughs> but anyway, I said, you give me time, Lord, and I'll do your will. Now leave me alone. Don't bother me. But preacher kept right on preaching. I'm going to the book of Luke, chapter 6, and verse 24. And I heard this. Luke 6 and 46. I knew that wasn't right. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Hmm. I wasn't doing what the Lord wanted. I said, you know, I bought that Bible. Just give me time. I'll I'll come to church more. And I did. I began to attend a little more regularly. Twice a month, you know. I even began to take my little $5 Bible with me. And when the band had a break, I'd go back in the back room and try to read a little bit of scripture and make some sense of it. And I said, now, now, Lord, let me, let me feel good about all this. And the rest and the peace were still gone. And I said, what, what's happened here? What is going on here? And I was even more upset. And I knew, all right, the Lord is not my master. I'm just living for myself and couldn't get any rest and peace. And the Lord kept right on. Who is my life bringing glory to? I heard 1 Corinthians chapter 6 preached one day. And I'm going there. In verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I was more troubled. Lord, I know I'm blood-bought, but I knew I was selfish. I said, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. And then, and then you quit troubling me, quit bothering me. I took my uh, Gibson Firebird electric guitar. And in as big a letters as I could get on the body of that gu- guitar, I carved, Jesus saves. So I'd be a good testimony every bar I sang and played in. <laughs> I don't believe that, you know. But I, I was trying to do something to get the Lord from bothering me. I was not enjoying being saved with all this kind of trouble with the scriptures here. 
And so I said, see, Lord, I'm not ashamed of you. And I'll let everybody know that I'm a Christian. And there were people who had to come up and see what it said. And, and there were people that came. I drew people to the bar, Christians to the bar, just so if they could see if there really was a born-again Christian in a rock and roll band. Oh, my, what a good testimony. But uh, still troubled. I couldn't get any rest and peace. Couldn't get that peace back that, like the day I was saved. And the preaching went right on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, I heard these words. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I said, well, Lord, a lot of things have become new. I'm new on the inside. I said, Lord, I, I, you know what? I'll stop drinking. I didn't drink anyway. I'll stop cursing. I didn't curse too much. I, I won't tell any dirty jokes or listen to any dirty jokes anymore. And uh, they interviewed me at the Catholic high school, a good place to, for a rock and roll band to play. Uh, but uh, they interviewed our band, and I said, I know that music is a gift from God, and I hope I never use my music in a bad way. But I couldn't get any rest or peace. And I thought, how, how does one please God? Everything I do, it doesn't satisfy the Lord, and he just keeps stirring up my heart and troubling me about these things, and I can't enjoy a day of my life. And I began to think God's hard. He's just difficult to, to deal with. Can't make a deal with him, I guess. And the Lord kept right on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, I learned something about yoking up with others. What does it say? Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Oh, no. I had a signed contract with six other men that were not believers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? I knew the answer, no fellowship. And what communion hath light with darkness? I knew no communion. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? I knew I shouldn't have any part. I knew there shouldn't be any conquered, no harmony. And I was singing and making harmony with them in the taverns. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? I know I shouldn't be in any agreement at all. For ye are the temple of the living God. And I was reminded that I was not my own again. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And I hollered out to the Lord, I am your people. I am your people. You are my God. Why are you treating me this way? And I had to come up with some new arguments to try and get that uncomfortable feeling out of my life. And I learned a little bit. I got a little smart. I sat in enough services and I said, well, nobody's going to hell over me. I'm not sending anybody to hell. 
So what difference does it make if I play in a band or not? What difference does it make if that's how I make my living? What difference does it make if I go out to the bars? No one's going to hell because of me. And then a fellow in church who later became my pastor, he was the youth director, and then the pastor named Randy King, and he had a twin brother, Ralph, and they were farmers. And Randy had gotten saved, and he was trying to win his twin brother. And he said, Ralph, you need to trust the Lord. And, and he, sa- he said, I'm going to take you to Pastor Howard Nelson. And he, he got him in the room there, and Howard Nelson began to talk to him and, and said, look, Ralph, you need to be born again. You need to trust Jesus as your Savior. You need to have that new birth, that spiritual birth. And, and Ralph just said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does Alan Ives go to your church? And Howard Nelson said, yes, he does. But Ralph, you don't, you don't want to look at him. He's not living for the Lord. He goes to your church? Is he a Christian? Yes, Ralph, but he's not, he's not living for the Savior. Don't look at that. And he said, I'll tell you what. Is he going to heaven? Well, he's trusted Jesus, so yes, he's going to heaven. Salvation is a free gift. Wow! I'm as good as he is. If he's going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. Shut the book, preacher. I've heard enough. And Randy knocked on my door one day. And he was, he's a very blunt person anyway. And he just said, Alan, I'm over here to tell you my twin brother Ralph is going to hell because of you. I said, oh boy. And I knew I shouldn't be yoked up with the boys in the band. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to solve this thing. And he said, what do I tell my brother? What do I tell my brother? And I I said, Randy, just I I don't know. I don't know. And Randy left. So I came up with a plan. I said, here's what it is. I'm going to quit this bad rock and roll band in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And I'm going to join a good rock and roll band down near Milwaukee with nice boys that don't sin and nice music that isn't bad. And uh, I, I quit the band. I finally quit the band, and I joined another one. And I was out of town. I said, now Ralph can't. And Ralph lied about me. He did He in a lot of ways. But I said, now he can't see what's going on at all. So he's not going to go to hell over me because I'm not even in the area. He can't find me. And I thought that would take care of that, and God would, would quit bothering me about this un, unequal yoke business. But I had no rest and no peace. And I heard the, the things preached from the Bible further. Ephesians 5.11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And I wasn't standing against any sin. I was standing right in the middle of all of it. And the difference was I didn't leave a bad rock and roll band and go to a good rock and roll band. I went from a, a rock and roll band that made money to one that didn't. So my gas, gas money and food simply depleted, uh, soon depleted all of what I, what I had saved, what little I had saved. And I met a singer in the band. There were several others in the band. And the, the singer was packing up the equipment one day, big, tall amplifiers, and the, my electric guitar was leaning up against it. 
one of the amps, and he moved the amp and forgot about my guitar, and with the tension on the strings, it, it fell over and ping and snapped right in half, and there was my expensive guitar ruined, and uh, my troubled heart. And I just, I looked at Carl, and I, he was real apologetic, and I said, Carl, just forget it. I said, I know you don't understand, but God is trying to talk to me. Not listening real well, but I said, I think I need to quit this band too. And I need to get out of this forever. I had blamed God for being hard. I blamed God for not helping me. I said, okay, if I'm not like the other Christians, and I guess I can't be like the other Christians, Lord, do something to change me. And if you don't, I don't know how to be like them. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from all appearance of evil, and everything I did appeared evil. Like I said, Ralph lied about me. And I was troubled about that. I said, someone is going to hell because of me. Someone is looking at my life and my poor testimony, and it's affecting them. And Randy had become my friend, saved around the same time I was, around the same age as I was. I found a card in a store. I mean, God did a lot of things, but uh, it's just a card. It's just the, the... the great American mugwump, and it's a bird. And this was my problem. It says he sits on a fence with his mug on one side and his wump on the other. I couldn't get along with the boys in the band because they were doing things that were unchristian, and I was reading about those things in the Bible as I showed up at church every now and then. And I couldn't get along with the Christians because I had no burdens to share. I wasn't praying for anybody. I wasn't living right. I wasn't rejoicing in the Lord. I wasn't victorious. Most of the people weren't even sure I really was saved. It was that bad. So I had no joy. I lost my money, as I said, buying food and traveling to Adel and Random Lake and Fredonia. For practices. I lost my voice straining to hit all the high notes late at night. I lost my guitar because Carl snapped it in two. I lost my friends. Couldn't get along with any of them. I lost time. I wasted two years of my life. I heard the prodigal son story. Somebody preached it. And God spoke to my heart about that. And basically telling me, you don't have to go all the way to the pig pen. You can turn around right now. You can turn around today. And I saw that that's what I should do. Why would I have to wait until my life got so bad that there was was nothing left? And finally, I I cried out in in desperation. I said, Lord, if you don't help me, I'm going to do it myself. And I said, all this music, all this entertainment, all this nightlife in the bars, I quit. Two words, two words, I quit. And all that peace that I lost, all that rest, 
that the Lord had shown me the day I got saved flooded back into my heart and soul. And I discovered some things about the Lord. He's not hard. He's not austere. He's loving, but he tells us his word is the hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. He was hammering on me on purpose to improve my life, to change my life, to help me let go of my worldly ways so that he could bless me. I discovered that the word of God has power not only to convict us about the sin that we're involved in, but to give us power to resist that sin and protect us from that sin after we avoid it. I learned as the years went by how anti-Puritan, anti-Christian rock and roll is in its purpose and in its influence. Those people, many of them, heard the gospel in those rock and roll bands and rejected Jesus Christ. And they were saying, we are preaching the rock revolution, the sexual revolution. We do not have to live by biblical morality. We do not have to believe in God. We do not have to trust Jesus as our Savior. We do not have to follow the Bible. We do not have to go to church. And on and on. I found out how much rock and roll hindered me. I couldn't live for God. That's why I had no rest and why I had no peace. And what I thought was a mean God just pushing down on me, pressing down on me, making me so miserable. Those were the two worst years of my life. Was a loving God trying to get me willingly to yield to him instead of yielding to my flesh in my life. I preached down through the years, and I found, I found other young men like myself. They were Christians. I talked to two boys, and they, they wanted to argue with me about the rock and roll they listened to, and I didn't even know what it was by that time. They were a lot like I was, but they, here they were. One was saved nine years, and one was saved ten years. And I said, have you ever brought any of your friends to the Savior? They hung their head and said no. I, wasn't, I just preached an hour and a half. I, I wasn't going to argue with them about their music. They weren't paying much attention. I turned to the other boy and said, have you won any of your friends, neighbors, relatives to the Savior? He hung his head. He'd been saved 10 years. I said, would you please consider the fact that you have filled your life up with so much carnal music and the carnal things that go with it that you cannot even be used of God and you're not being used of God. And I just pled with them to consider that it might be the, the music and the philosophies that they picked up along the way that was hindering them. Well, I, I suppose I could say a, a whole lot of things. It's already 20 after. I'm so glad 
that the word of God convicts us when we're in the wrong. God wants us to, to walk with him and uh, to walk in his ways and to benefit from it. And when we resist and fight, we, we, uh, we hinder the goodness of God in our life. I want to read a poem and close. Preachers always used to close with a poem. I found it years later, and I said, that's what God did. I'm going to read it best that I can. It's called The Touch of the Master's Hand by a lady named Myra Brooks, but I'll read it to you, and I'll be done. It tells the story of what God does in the life of a worthless sinner. Here's how the poem goes. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folk, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two, two dollars, and who'll make it three? Going for three, going for three, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, now what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, and who'll make it two? Two thousand, and who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going, and gone, cried he. The people cheered, but some of them cried, We do not understand what changed its worth. Quick came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. I am so glad Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, and he found me. He saved me, and he changed my life. Wonderful cleansing for time and for eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've been able to look at. Bless in the morning service. Help each one, Lord, where they might be struggling. Lord, wherever they may need to say, I quit once and for all. I'm living for myself, the sins of my life. Lord, we know what a wonderful thing thou wilt do if we give ourselves to thee, to be used to thee. If we let go of our pet sins and our own ways and our own thoughts and follow thee instead. May anyone here who's saved and not fully surrendered to thee 
given themselves to the this day. And if there's anyone like I was as a teenager that just simply does not know thee, may they call on thee today and be wonderfully saved. We thank thee for the work of thy Holy Spirit. Work in our lives, Lord, we need thee. I said so many times, Lord, leave me alone. Oh, Lord, don't leave me alone. Don't leave us alone. Thank you for this time. Now bless in the rest of our day. In Jesus' name, amen.